Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the gift of your sacrament, for symbols which show us the truth of your promise, Lord, that that you love us, that you care for us, that you have claimed us. And Lord, as we focus our hearts and our minds on your word today, I pray that you would continue to speak to us. Lord, open our eyes to your glory in our midst. Lord, bend our wills and our hearts and our minds to you. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be found holy and acceptable in your sight. You who are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to confess Mark stole a little of my thunder this morning. I didn't know he was going to describe Lent and some of its practices so well. Uh, but since as an educator, he knows that, that iteration is good to help learn things, um, we're going to get it again. This past Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, Christians around the world marked the beginning of that season called Lent. And it does last for 40 days. It's six weeks, not counting Sundays. Sundays are feast days. And it's the same period of time, those 40 days, that Jesus spent in the wilderness, as we heard from our lesson from Matthew today. Jesus was there fasting and praying and fighting off the devil. For us too, Lent is a time to reflect, to repent, to rededicate ourselves to God. And just as Jesus did, many Christian traditions still include the practice of fasting, of giving something up for Lent. I'm going to expand a little bit on what you said before. One important point about fasting, it only counts as fasting if you give up something favorable, something that you like. Giving up paying your taxes That doesn't count. The same goes for not washing the dishes, not getting up for work or school, or for not stopping for gas when the little light comes on. I would love to give that up. Second, the most important point about fasting, the most meaningful part of this spiritual discipline isn't what you give up whether that's a certain amount of of screen time each day or setting aside a particular hobby or recreation, fasting from a certain food like chocolate or a whole food group like coffee. Somebody heard it. Maybe that's just me. What makes fasting a spiritually edifying exercise is what you add in its place. What you do with all that extra time or energy or money your abstinence has bought for you. For example, if you're fasting from TV or from the computer, use that time to read the Bible. Use that time for prayer, for for yourself and for others. If you're going to forego sweets or caffeinated beverages during Lent, take that money that you would have spent on them and donate it to an organization or a charity that fights hunger. The key is this, through your prayers or your donations or your service, make your fast a blessing. Make your fast a benefit to your own faith and a gift to those around you. Now, of course, there are obstacles to fasting. 
the greatest being the subject of our reading this morning from Matthew. So what we're going to focus on today is temptation. The Irish poet Oscar Wilde said it well, I can resist anything except temptation. Now last week, you will remember, our passage from Matthew revealed Jesus' godly nature. His dazzling, mountaintop display of heavenly brightness and light. Well, today we have an example of Jesus' very human nature. Jesus' susceptibility to temptation. Today, Jesus is not on the mountaintop in glory. He is down in the valley, in the shadows. And he's suffering from some very familiar afflictions. After 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus is hungry and he is tired and he is lonely. And that's when the devil strikes. Now, for Jesus, this was a face to face confrontation. The devil can't hide from Jesus, so there's no reason for the devil to put on any clever disguises. But the devil approaches us very differently. I'm pretty confident that if I saw the devil himself coming toward me, I'd run the other way. Fast. And the devil knows this. So with us, he's, he's got to be more sneaky than making a direct confrontation. And there are several ways that the devil does this. Just as he did with Jesus. The devil knows how to pick his moments. Temptation is more likely to strike when we're stressed, when we're down, when we're feeling overwhelmed and like the weight of the whole world rests on our shoulders, when we're getting tired of waiting for God to make a way, when following Christ begins to feel like a burden and a sacrifice instead of a joy. That's when the devil will appear and start to whisper in our ear and cloud our vision and our senses. We see that at work even here with Jesus. In Jesus' first temptation, the devil attempts to use Jesus' circumstances against him. He knows that Jesus is hungry from this extended fast, and so the tempter tells Jesus to turn a stone into bread. Now, at face value, you've got to think, well, what harm can there possibly be in that? I mean, Jesus needs to eat. Everybody needs to eat. Why would the devil start there? Well, as loud as his belly was grumbling, Jesus saw that this temptation was about more than just food. Temptations can come as the desire to do the right thing, even the beneficial thing, but for the wrong reason. For Jesus, the issue was not, should I ever eat bread again? Rather, the issue, the temptation, was to place the Father's will behind His own. Jesus knew that the Holy Spirit had driven Him out into the barrenness of that desert And Jesus knew that there was a reason for it. Jesus would not allow his own needs or desires to turn or to thwart God's purpose. Even when God's plan is difficult and even when it involves some suffering, 
Jesus knew that the Father's will was what was most important. The devil will tempt us to take the gifts and the abilities that God has given us and to use them for ungodly purposes. And so we need to be asking ourselves, why has God given me the power to do what I can do? What has God placed me here in this time, in this location to do? What has God placed me in this world to be? Not even for a slice of bread would Jesus stray from the Father's will. Of course, the devil always has a plan B. And for his second challenge, the tempter tells Jesus to put God to the test. Go ahead, he tells Jesus, throw yourself down from the top of the temple and force God's hand. God says he loves you. If so, then God should be willing to prove it. Instead of a life in which everything Jesus said and did was to show his love for the Father, the devil tempts Jesus to make life all about God having to prove his love for him. God proving his faithfulness. God proving his power. Jesus, of course, says, no, I will, I will not require God to prove himself to me. There is a line between the created and the creator, and it's a line that Jesus would not cross. And yet we face this temptation too. It comes as a temptation to begin conversations with God like this. Okay, God, if you, well then I'll, you can fill in the blanks. How often are we tempted to imagine ourselves, the created, as on par with God, the Creator? How often are we tempted to forget our place, tempted to make it about what God can do for me instead of what I can do for God? In the third temptation, the devil offers Jesus the world on a platter. If only Jesus will bow down and worship him. Jesus is tempted to compromise his loyalty and his devotion. Whom will you serve, the devil asks. I've got lots to offer better than this desert you're living in now. Just look up to me. Idolize me. Let me set your priorities for you. But again, Jesus refuses. Jesus' worship and devotion, his love and gratitude and admiration and attention belongs to the Father alone. Not for fame or fortune, not for comfort or power would Jesus turn from the Father. And this begs us to ask, whom do we look to? Whom do we admire? Whom do we seek to imitate? What do we value? What are we working for? And what will we sacrifice to achieve our goals? That's worth noting that 
Each of Jesus' responses to the devil are quotations from Deuteronomy, from the fifth book of the Bible in the Old Testament. Jesus responded to and ultimately defeated the devil. He overcame temptation by drawing upon and by holding fast to the Word of God. But you'll also notice that the devil knows God's Word too. So just being able to answer the devil by quoting Scripture isn't a surefire immunization against temptation. Now when it comes to defeating temptation, there's something else here in this passage that's even more valuable and more effective. Consider this, this really curious thing about this record that we have. Nobody else was there when this happened. It was just Jesus and the devil. We only know about any of this scene because after Jesus came out of the wilderness, after he gathered his disciples around him, he shared his temptations. Jesus talked about his battle with the devil. And Matthew, Mark, and and Luke, they knew all this was valuable. This was worth recording. Each of those Gospels has a version of this event. And therein lies the secret to beating the devil. It's sharing the temptations that he throws at us. The good news about temptation is this. Unlike Jesus, we have not been left to face temptation alone. No, there is value for us in sharing our duels with the devil. We gain wisdom and strength from each other, both from our victories and from our failures. And that's hard. We don't like to be so vulnerable with each other. We think it's admitting weakness, showing our sinful underbelly. But note, the failure is not in being tempted. It wasn't for Jesus. It's not for us. Just as Jesus was tempted, so are we. God, in His grace, though, has not left us to face temptation alone. As we just witnessed in Annie's baptism, God has claimed us. We are His. We are beloved sons and daughters. And like a good parent, a good shepherd, God is there to help us when we get into trouble. When the tempter strikes, we can call on God and we can call on one another. And just doing that, just asking a brother or sister for help, for strength, for wisdom, that is often enough, all it takes, to get us safely through the trial. As the passage says, God has angels and God has saints all around us to minister to us in times of weakness and in need. God is here. And we are here for one another to share these battles, to share our temptations, and to put the devil on the run. Let us do that together.
In Jesus' name, amen.